Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you very much for joining us online. It's a great privilege to have you here today. And today is a special day for a few reasons, but one is this. And the most important is this. This is the day that the Lord has made. And I, for one, will rejoice and be glad in it. That's today. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Because it's easy sometimes to rejoice in the good old days of you, that you remember, you know, <clears throat> pre-2020. Or whenever your good old days were. It's easy to rejoice in them. Sometimes, and it's great to have songs like we sung this morning about hope. It's easy to rejoice in days we're not sure what's coming, but we have hope that they're good. I can be happy about those days. But choosing to rejoice today. Choosing to rejoice every day. And saying, this is the day God has made. I'm not living in the past. I'm not living in the future. I am living in the moment today because today is the day of salvation. Salvation. Today is a day where hope is alive now, where Jesus is alive. This is a good day. And so when I say this morning, good day, I literally mean good day. It's a good day. Today is a day to rejoice. And anyone who rejoices can say, muffled, amen. Today is a day. Today is also a little bit special for Jay and I in that this week uh, marks uh, the beginning of our 20th anniversary as pastors. It was on this last uh, Sunday in August in uh, 2002. I think we got a photo of that for those of you who don't fo uh, follow me on social media. Uh, we look something like this, 23 years of age. You should have seen what Jesse looked like 19 years ago. And uh, Leon and Pat Fundal there from uh, our past were uh, responsible for ordaining us there at 23 years of age when Bayside, essentially we were ordained and then I guess the next Sunday, Father's Day, because of course Father's Day is our birthday as a church, right? And uh, next Father's Day was our first Sunday. So uh, that's kind of a momentous occasion for us. I suspect that uh, Nick Reske, when he was here some time ago, said, ooh, 20 years, something, something about that. So let's, let's see. It's, it's, it's a bit funny to say it's our 19th birthday. Sounds a lot better to say it's the start of our 20th year. See how I did that? Not, when you're a numbers person, 19 is a little bit odd, unless it's a price for something, and then that's fine. You always go down to 19, 99, not $20, 19.99. who are you kidding? And uh, the other thing that today marks, as uh, was just hinted at or was seen on that uh, video of my friends there, is that I am launching my much-awaited, much long-awaited new book. Uh, it is an in-house launch today. You are We've only got 100 copies that exist, okay? So you are among the first to have opportunity to take that home uh, with you today. At some point over the next couple of weeks, uh, the online world uh, will be notified that it will be available through different channels. But uh, today, as an in-house launch, it is only fitting that uh, we make uh, it it's, uh, available here uh, on this uh, weekend. So I'll say a little bit more about that later. But I'm not here really to do that primarily today. I do enjoy a good segue, so... I want to segue into that later. This morning I want to start by continuing our Heroes series. Uh, we've been looking at Heroes of the Scripture. Uh, this is Heroes 2.0 simply because we did a series called Heroes last year. And we've been looking at biblical heroes that come in all shapes and sizes and asking ourselves what do they have to teach us and inspire us and encourage us in. So what I want to do to start today before I reveal my hero today is see whether you can guess who it is. Think of your top two or three favourite Old Testament characters. It might be a leader, maybe a political leader, 
Uh, maybe someone who wrote part of the scripture, maybe a prophet, maybe a bit of a peculiar person, maybe a woman with a, a tent peg in her hand, <laughs> maybe a child, maybe a foreigner, maybe uh, someone who wrote songs or poetry. Throw out some names. What's the, over this side? Give us some of your top Old Testament heroes. Beth, Noah. Joseph, last week. Yeah, well, that's, you get points for the pastor with that one. Yeah. Isaiah? He was, he was, yeah, okay. Daniel. Great. How about in the middle here? Abraham, going right back. Gideon. Oh, great. And Elijah. Okay, very good. David, beautiful. I think he's coming up. What's the one? Anyone else? Josiah. Josiah. Oh, random. I know where you're going with that one. That's, that's very close. How about this side? Give us one. My kids are excited about the Yeah, Jail. Yeah, she's definitely my favourite chick in the Bible. Ten peg chick. <laughs> Anything else? Titan. Samson. Ah, the legend. The legend Samson. Uh, basically looks like Daniel as far as, uh, as far as I'm aware. Today my hero is an author. He may be one of the most prolific authors in the Old Testament. Uh, much of what we have as the Old Testament may be credited to him. Uh, Rumour has it, he wrote the book of Chronicles. So he chronicled Israel's history, rumour has it, that he followed on from that and wrote Ezra and Nehemiah. Rumour has it, he even put together the books of Moses as we have them today. You know how preachers often joke about the verse that says, Moses was the most humble man in the world. And we say, Moses wrote that about himself. You know that? Well, he didn't write that about himself. Okay? There was a collator, there was an editor, a redactor, that put those books together and some credit this man. We're doing that. Some people even believe that this man may have a prophetic nickname. He may have gone uh, with a nickname called Malachi. Which, uh, so the same man that wrote these other books and was responsible for putting together the first five books of the Bible in the, and, uh, may actually be Malachi, it may be his other sort of uh, pen name or prophetic name, like an actor may have a prophetic name. It's a short name, but a high score on Scrabble. Today, I'm going to look at a man called Ezra. Ezra, who is what I'm going to call today a man of the book. A man of the book. Happy book week. How many of you had kids that dressed up this week? Book week characters? We had a few? Well, we should have all had dressed up today for book week. That would have been great. If you can uh, find the book of Ezra, if you brought your Bible, do that. Turn in your Bible halfway, you'll find Psalms. It's just to the left. Basically, in the, in the history of God's people, we're picking up at around about 400-ish BC. Okay, that kind of... Uh, period of time. Uh, God's people came out of Egypt with Moses about 14, 1500 years BC. Okay, uh, four or five hundred years later, you've got King David and King Solomon about a thousand BC, and that's pretty well when God's people were at their best. They look back upon King David and Solomon and say, "As those were the days, they were the golden era." Oh, I wish we could get back there. You 
know, that was, that was an awesome time, about 1000 BC. And then after Solomon died, God's people split. They had a big divorce and they split into two. And the 10 tribes stayed north and called themselves Israel. The bottom tribes called themselves Judah. Well, that was the main tribe down there. And so you have the split kingdom. The northern people eventually get taken out. And then the southern people, Judah, where Jerusalem is, they get taken out by the king of Babylon, whose name is also Nebuchadnezzar. I'm in the Bible. There it is. So Nebuchadnezzar takes out Judah. And this is where all the prophets prophesy and say, doom and gloom, doom and gloom, Jerusalem's coming down. Well, when Nebuchadnezzar comes into the city, he takes people away. Every time he does a raid, he kidnaps a bunch of people. And in the first, there's basically three main waves. He takes away Daniel in the first. And so that's why Daniel goes away and writes his book up there in Babylon. In the second wave, he takes away a guy called... Ezekiel takes away Ezekiel and Ezekiel goes and writes his book. And in the third wave, that's when the whole city falls down and Jeremiah is there. So that's where those three big prophets fit in. And Jeremiah is there watching the whole thing, crying his eyes out, going, boo-hoo, Jerusalem's coming down. Really bad time. However, there's hope and there will be a restoration in the future. And this is where the books of Ezra and Nehemiah come in because this is where people start now coming back. They've all been taken up north and they all start coming back to Jerusalem. And guess what? They come back in three major waves. Taken away in three, come back in three. And I'm probably reading too much into this, but I figure it's a little bit like John, a little bit like Peter, who denied Jesus three times and then was affirmed another three times. Okay, so this is big, big picture about God's people taken away three times, come back three times. And they come back in three major waves. The first guy is Zerubbabel, and he restores the worship starts building the temple, the restoration of worship. Second wave comes back and Ezra is part of that. And he's mainly responsible for restoring the word. That's where we're going today, restores the word. The third guy that comes back is Nehemiah and he restores the walls. Okay? Three waves away, three waves that come back. And basically when Ezra kicks in uh, is, yeah, as I said, in that second wave, we think, depending on those of you who are prophecy geeks or or uh, eschatology nerds, okay? It could be that it's when Ezra comes back that Daniel's 70-week clock starts, okay? Because Daniel had this whole prophecy when he's up here and he was saying, listen, I know God's people are going to be taken away, but there was going to be a commission to send them back. And at the time that starts, a 70-week clock is going to start, okay? And people debate whether it was which of the third waves started that clock, but a lot of people think it might have been Ezra. Okay, so that's where we're at in history. Have you found Ezra by now? Let's go. Ezra chapter 7, just a bit of a background for you. All right. Ezra 7, verse 1. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, another high score on Scrabble, king of Persia, Ezra, son of... Brooke, I need your help. Here we go. Okay, Ezra, son of Sariah, Azariah, Hilka, Shalom, Zadok, Ahitub, Amaria, Azaria, Moiroth, oh my goodness, Zeruiah, Uzi, Buki, Abishu, you're making this stuff up, Phineas, Eleazar, and Aaron the chief priest. Some good baby boy names in that list there. The, the whole point of saying all that is basically to say this guy comes from Aaron's line. It doesn't mean that much to you and me, okay? But it meant a lot to them. This guy was a true blue priest in the order of Aaron, Eleazar, and Phineas, it meant a lot to the people at the time, and so that's why that list is there. Verse 6, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher 
well-versed in the law of Moses, which Yahweh, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Heard that last week with Joseph. God's favour was on him. The hand of the Lord was on him. And because God's favour was on him, he had favour with, in this case again, political, political figures. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He began his journey from Babylon on the first day, on the first month. And he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for this is all important details. And the gracious hand of God was upon him. For Ezra, verse 10, had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. It's the verse I want to camp on. Read it in the ESV, puts it this way. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and then to teach it. God's statutes and God's rules in Israel. The reason we know about Ezra, and he has a book named after him, as we can see, the reason we know about him in public is because he was a teacher. But what made him such a good teacher in public was because who he was in private. And this is what this verse reveals to us. Before he gave himself to teach the scriptures to others as a man of the book, there's three things right in this verse that we see about Ezra in the private place and his relationship with the word of God. This is something we see behind the scenes. The first thing there it says in verse 10 was that he set his heart. Ezra, a man of the book, was a man that loved the book. He loved the book. The heart there in the Hebrew speaks of the seat of our mind, our will and our emotions. Ezra had an emotional connection with the book, or at least the book that he, he had at the time. He was a lover of God's word. He was a lover of God's word. And before getting up to teach others, uh, as my old pastor used to say, it doesn't matter. You can get up to a crowd and you can say that you've got mumps. But if you've got measles, they're going to, people are going to catch what you actually have. And before he got up as a communicator of God's word, it was important for him to privately be a lover of God's word because people catch what you have. People catch what you've got. And if we want people to be lovers of God's word, to be passionate, to engage with God's word, those particularly who take a place like this to be personal lovers of God's word themselves. This is what we see in Ezra. He was a lover of the word. He set his heart on it. And that principle applies to most everything. If you want your kids to love certain things, then you better make sure you love those things and set that as an example. I hope that, among other things, our kids develop, and I think it's happening as they're getting older, develop a love for good food. And better knocky than what their mum can cook. <laughs> that they develop a love for friendship because they see that in our home. That they develop a love for local church. Um, when Zoe was born, Jay and I had a moment five years ago, when Zoe was born we had three months, quote, off church, we, we stayed away for, for three months, and our kids, we, we said, well, let's go to any church you want, where do you want to go? And they begged us, they said, drop us off at Bayside, we don't want to go anywhere but Bayside. 
I'm like, okay, I'm not going to take that. I think that's it. Somewhere they had a love for church. They caught something that we had modeled. And whatever it is that you want those that follow you in your business, sporting club, whatever influence you have, if you want people to be lovers of something, don't just get up and say it with your mouth because uh, hypocrisy doesn't go very far. Okay? If you really want people to catch who you are in the private place, make sure you are a lover of that thing. And that's what we see here in Ezra. Before he stood up to speak, Ezra was a lover of God's word. He loved the book. Secondly, he not only set his heart on it, but he set his heart to learn it. He was not only a lover of the book, he was a learner of the book. He learnt the book. The word there, study, uh, is also translated in many cases, seek. He sought out the scriptures. How many of you love doing that from time to time? Or how many of you just know whenever you're passionate about something, you want to find out the most about it that you can? You're buying a car. Well, you're researching everything about the cars. Those of you who are into cars, okay? You're, whatever hobby you're into, you're researching, you're digging, you're seeking, you're finding information. You want to learn as much as you can about that thing. Well, Ezra was like that when it came to the book. It reminds me of the Bereans who listened to Paul preaching and they realized he had life on his message, but it says they studied intently. They searched the scriptures. They looked through the Bible to make sure that what he was saying was right. They had, they had not only a love for the scripture, but they wanted to learn. And as far as I'm concerned, the best Teachers are lifelong students. I love the fact that in this church we can have people watching Joan sitting here right now who two years ago can read the Bible through with me in a year and say, I've been serving Jesus since I was how old, Joan? How long have you known, how long have you known Jesus? 68 years. And she can say, I learned something. I learned something. The, the plumb the depth of God's word. You're never too old to not learn. And the best teachers are lifelong students. And as far as I'm concerned, as long as Jesus is the good teacher, we're to give ourselves to him as good students. And Ezra models that. He not only was a lover of the word, loved the word, he learnt the word. He gave himself to do that. And as far as I'm concerned, there is no easier time in human history for us to be students of the scripture. Because there's not... There's, <laughs> the end of books, there will be no end. Ecclesiastes says, the writing of books, there will be no end. The writing of blogs, there will be no end. The writings of courses and online uh, YouTube clips and whatever. There's plenty of podcasts and ways for us to learn. I encourage you today, love the book. I encourage you today, learn the book. You've not, you don't know it all. And you may be wrong. So there's always something to learn. And the third thing we see here is he not only loved it, he set his heart. He set his heart to study it. And then it says there in verse 10, not only to study it, but also to do it. Before he taught it, he loved it, he learnt it, and he lived it. Ezra was a man who lived the word. God's word does not simply exist to stimulate our intellect, to satisfy our curiosities, or to whisper sweet nothings into our emotional ear. While that can be true, and while God can do those things through his scripture, the Bible is there, biblical truth is there for us to put it into practice. It is there to be adhered to. It is the man who built his house on the rock is not just the man who had the Bible, but it's a man who heard and who did. James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers, and Ezra models that for us. To be a people of the book are those who know it and those who live by it. Those who know it and those who live by it. People of the book. Do you know that's what the Quran calls us? I don't know how much, many of you have read much of the Quran. 
But the Quran calls Christians people of the book. I'd love to think we can live up to that name. A people of the book who love it, who learn it, and who live it. Amen. See, three points. Uh, one set of three points isn't nearly enough. The question, though, of course, is how do we do that? How do we apply God's word? Because it's quite simple to see that not every story you read, not every passage that is written, is not only, number one, not written to us, but it's sometimes it's very difficult to understand how the heck we put this thing and apply this thing into our life. You know that the whole Bible is not written to you, because if you did, you would have come here this morning slaughtering doves and pigeons and, and, and sheep and goats, okay? You didn't do that today, because you know something! That not all the Bible is written to you. And not all the Bible is written for you to obey. Not all the Bible is written for you to be in the, put into practice. So how do we do that? And after all, Chad, the, the, the church is so split on, on, on the different conclusions that we come to. Uh, disagreeing on so many forms of application. And this is where the whole issue of Bible interpretation comes in. Okay? The Bible is a book. All literature is, in a sense, needs some type of interpretation. It's not just, oh, I just read it and do it. No, you don't. Nobody does. Uh, we don't just read it and do it. There is some type of interpretation. And this is also what Ezra teaches us. Ezra teaches us a three-step process in handling the Word of God properly. If you turn over from Ezra, you hit the book of Nehemiah. It's the same book in the Jewish Bible. There's one, we just split it uh, a few hundred years BC. But it's the same book, the book of Nehemiah. A few years later now, we're going to read from chapter, 10, uh, chapter 8. But Paul introduces this concept to us in the New Testament to Timothy when he says, I want you as a young preacher to present yourself to God as an approved minister. One who doesn't need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. Who correctly handles the truth. You can correctly handle the truth. Okay, You can handle the truth. Correctly handles the word of God. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to handle the scriptures. And as far as I'm concerned, Ezra gives us a process to follow that all of us can implement in applying God's word and handling it well. You want to see that today? Yeah, come on, let's have a look. Nehemiah chapter 8 and again verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Feast of Trumpets, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon. Get comfortable, people. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the teacher of the law stood on a high wooden platform next week, built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood a whole bunch of people. I'm not even going to try. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra here, this is at the Feast of Tabernacles, as I said, this starts a tradition in Jewish culture of reading the scripture in the public place on a Sunday. 
on a Saturday. Okay? So he's basically started that. Verse 6. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded. Amen. Yes, that's right. I think like Monty Python, you're all meant to say in unison, Ezra, all the people lifted their hands and responded. All right, right, awesome. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Okay, okay. I didn't say Simon says. There you go, you're out. Now, this is church here, okay. Verse 7, the Levites, and there's some interesting names again, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. Verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear. Uh, That can also be translated, they read from the book of the law, translating it. Translating it. The people that were listening that day had just spent the best part of 70 years in Persia, in Babylon, where they learned Aramaic. So they were foreigners to the Hebrew language that Ezra was reading. Okay. So they not just needed the Bible read to them, they needed to hear it in a language that they understood. That sounds a bit like you and me, doesn't it? Okay, we need to have the Bible in the language that's translated for us. Well, that's exactly what these people do. They read from the book of the law of God, translating it, and then giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. They read the book, and then they explained what it meant. How many of you know there's a big difference between hearing someone say something and knowing what they mean? All the married people said... Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Stop crying. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, No, 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 no. You've got it wrong. Don't cry. Go and enjoy choice food, sweet, non-alcoholic or sugary beverages, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Having heard the word, having understood what it meant, the people then responded, and they responded wrong. And so they needed some help in understanding how to respond to the word of God. This is a very simple three-step process. Often by people in the books on hermeneutics, because the fancy word for interpretation is hermeneutics, often people talk about observation, interpretation, and then application. Okay? You observe what the Bible says. You interpret what that means. And then you apply it appropriately. I like to frame it as questions. Because one of the most healthy things we can do as students is to ask questions. So rather than those three things, I like to put it this way. We to ask three questions every time we read the Bible. First thing is, what does it say? What does the Bible actually say? Secondly, What does that mean? I know what it says, but what does it mean? And then thirdly, what does it matter? Who cares? Who cares if Jonah was swallowed by a fish? What does it matter? What does it actually matter? And if we were to handle our Bible and follow Ezra's example, we'd handle our scripture like this. Not just read it and then jump to suddenly applying it. No, no, no. Middle step, understanding what it means. If we were to implement that, we would be among the good students who handle the word of God well and follow that process and follow that procedure. And essentially, that forms, at the end of the day, the basic pattern for the book that I've written, answering these three questions. What does the Bible say? Well, you have to read it. That's, that's the easiest one. You've got to read the Bible well. What does it mean? Well, we're going to consider things like cultural 
context and historical background and covenant and where in the Bible it fits and language issues. There's some complexity there. Is this literal or non-literal? I'm not really sure. Is 70 weeks really 70 weeks? You know? And so what does it actually mean? And then well, who cares? What does it matter to you and I today if Jesus said, wash one another's feet? What does that matter to us? Because none of you have done that today either. And it's one thing to know that we should read the Bible. It's another thing to know that you can. And I want to say to you today, you can do it. You can be a Bible reader. And you can be a better Bible reader than what you are today. It's one thing to say that you should understand the Bible. I want to encourage you and say, but you can understand it. It's possible. You don't need a degree. You don't need PhD. Well, I don't have one. You don't need a PhD or a doctorate. You can understand it. And it's one thing to be told you should apply it. It's another thing to be told you can. You are able to. It's, it's easy. There are ways to find application. And my encouragement to you, if there's one thing I can leave you with today, it's simply this. The Bible is for everyone. The Bible is for everyone. And you can handle it. The Bible is for everyone. And you can handle it. And that is why Ezra is my hero today. Which brings me to a special occasion. The Bible, isn't that nice? This morning, I'm very pleased to make my book available to you, to my church family, in-house. Before, before it goes online, there's a bit of a complexity as to how this needs to work. I need to upload it on online platforms and then they need to sync the e-book and the paper book and the audio book and, and then I need to get some reviews on this so it doesn't look... It's a process. It would probably take a good two weeks before it actually comes out publicly but you guys get it today. Next week's Father's Day so today is the day to do that. And in some ways this has been a four or five year project. In some ways it's been a lifelong project. Uh, as I've become a student of the scripture and share one of my great life passions which is the Word of God. And my book is basically unique in the space of books like this because it's written as a conversation. It's not written from an academic perspective. Most books on this subject are like this big. I've got a few of them. Uh, this is written as a conversational, uh, conversation mentoring relationship type of thing. And so these are a number of the things that we cover in the book about men being mentored uh, in how to choose a translation. Can we have those on the screen? Because I don't actually have a uh, copy on me. I wasn't that prepared. You would have thought, oh no, not that one. Oh yeah, there it is. Oh, that's, that's the ebook that'll be coming out soon. There you go. Be mentored on how to choose a translation, read the Bible effectively, not just read it, but read it effectively, discover what it means, consider context, understand the scripture as a unified story. The Bible is one book. And it's a unified story that points ultimately to Jesus. Uh, discern between literal and non-literal passages. Well, that'll be helpful. Find personal significance for you as a reader and then ultimately share it with others. And so that's basically the heart of the book. And while in very many respects it is a joint project, you guys as a church do get a mention in the acknowledgements page. I do want to say thank you to you. I'm actually here today to sell a book for you. I'm here to thank you today. I'm here to thank you today for the part that you have to play and particularly in being a sounding board for many of the ideas that I present. Because <laughs> you've 
had a lot of the drafts thrown at you from Sunday to Sunday. And uh, I just want to appreciate that for you today. But also some special mentions. I do want to thank, first and foremost, my family. Um, it's, it's quite a detailed thing when you're in a creator and you've been working on something for four or five years and there's been numbers of times where Jay's told me, get out of the house. <laughs> in the nicest way possible. And I'm really grateful for that, for Jay and the kids for tolerating some of that space that I was in. I want to thank our leadership team as a church because as I put energies into this in the last few years, it's meant that I haven't put other en energies into other areas. We've all got limited energies. And as I've put energy into this creation, which has kept me do it going well, it also means I have neglected or haven't put energies into other places. And I just want to really thank our leadership group for walking through that with me. I want to thank a group of proofreaders that looked through the manuscripts in the early times. Uh, Margot, I know did, Cecilia, I think Irene, uh, there's a few, few of you, I, can't, I shouldn't have started doing names, I, I won't do that, who read through uh, the early versions of the manuscript. I really want to thank you. Uh, for doing that. I want to thank Leanne, who's handled the finances uh, along the way. There's been a lot of expenses in creating a book like this, and um, professional editors and layout people and all that. Leanne's been handling all that, and I really want to thank you uh, for doing that, something I haven't really had to think about. I want to thank those of you who've anonymously donated about a month or so ago. Some people gave some finance, and I put that towards producing an audio book that would be available, narrated by some local voiceover guy that you may know. Uh, I've also put together a really high-quality video course, uh, and uh, that'll be actually, we're starting that this Wednesday night here at Bayside. And so for those of you who uh, gave money to support that, I really want to thank you for doing that. Jesse and Pete Bowie put together a pre-launch website. I want to thank you guys, and Carol, uh, Hannah and Kay, uh, put together a whole bunch of advanced reader copies for people all, all different places, parts of the world, and posted them out. This week, I uh, have got some feedback from, if I name-dropped, Names that you very, most Christians would know around the world who said, got your book, we love it, and we're currently reading it. I want to thank those girls who participated in that. It was a very expensive exercise uh, doing that before we left for holidays. And the next phase of the journey is actually the promotional side of things. Getting into America, um, employing, if I can afford it, the, a publicist in America to try to get interviews on the podcast, etc., etc. So that's sort of where we're headed uh, in the next few months. Special mention also today of Louis, who is responsible for making the book look the way that it does. I want to introduce you to someone. I want to introduce you to Tim and Tam. They're just there. In case you uh, don't see them. This is who the book is written to. Uh, young people, primarily young adults, not exclusively, but writing to, a bit like Paul wrote to Timothy, on a mentoring journey to handle the Word of God. I'm writing to these two characters and uh, the idea of having artwork. And I didn't choose Louis because he's in our church. I chose Louis because he was the best. <laughs> and, uh, and because Sarah cooked me lunches when I went out to their house, let's face it. And uh, so I ate very well during the process. But, uh, you know, this is a very intimidating subject for many people. As I said, many big hardcover books, artwork, just to make it approachable, particularly for a younger audience. And so Tim and Tam are part of, part of that. Uh, there are section headers throughout the book. You're going to see pictures like this, uh, where basically, uh, for example, this is, this is a picture that describes the Bible as one big puzzle. Uh, that has a big picture and you're meant to have a bird's eye view of the scriptures to understand it. A lot of people get focused on their little puzzle piece. Doesn't make sense. You've got to see the big Bible picture to know where it fits in. Okay, So that's sort of the idea of that. Uh, there's also some artwork involved in some special 
articles that come up in the book, some sort of bonus features. Here's one on Bible translations. This is all original art, just talking about the difference between different Bibles, some which are more word for word, others which are thought for thought. Uh, there's a bonus article in there on something uh, called Gematria, take it or leave it. That's uh, uh, also just a bit of art there on the number 666. You have to read that to know what that's about. And one of my personal favorites is this one. You've seen me preach on this, but this is an article about Ezekiel when those two kingdoms were split and he prophesied that one day they'd come together and God said, I want you to take a stick that represents one kingdom, a stick that represents the other and join them together and God dropped this picture in my imagination one morning and said, can you imagine if Ezekiel had up those two sticks in the shape of a cross to say one day a new king is coming and one day a new shepherd like David will come and God's kingdom will be united again. Well, that's basically explaining that. So that's one of my favourites there. And even the contents and endorsements page look, look better uh, thanks to Louis so big big congratulations to you speaking of endorsements some of you know Barry Chant friend of the house uh, founding president of table says from a Christian reading public used to brevity of expression and instant fix solutions Chad has hit the mark he communicates clearly he doesn't waffle he is straight to the point clearly hasn't heard me preach this is a book for Christians both new and old clear enough for newcomers yet deep enough for long-time scripture readers, I have no doubt you will relish it. Catherine Renala heads up the Prophetic Council uh, here in Australia, based in Brisbane, says, You can handle the truth is a gift to the body of Christ. Chad communicates important biblical truths in a way that is so refreshing, teaching people how to read, interpret, and apply the Word of God for themselves, as well as being an excellent resource for Bible colleges and ministry schools. The book is a valuable equipping tool for believers from all Work walks of life. Across the ditch, Dr. Paul Ellis is a best-selling author, a prolific author, and he says, in a post-truth world, Chad sounds a clarion call to return to the truth revealed in the Bible, a truth that can be known and that will set your heart ablaze. This practical book will equip you with the tools you need to draw out the treasures of Scripture and help you see the big Bible picture. It is a welcome antidote to biblical illiteracy. Phil Barnard is a former teaching pastor at Hillsong College in London and taught hermeneutics for many years at Hillsong Church in London. He says, and you can handle the truth. Chad has taken the complex subject of hermeneutics and through humour, stories and examples made it accessible to the wide audience of the church. I recommend this book to anyone who wants to confidently read the scriptures in a more thorough and meaningful way. Over to America, Larry Sparks, the publisher of the biggest, one of the biggest charismatic labels, Destiny, says, You Can Handle the Truth is a user-friendly and easily accessible guide to help everyday believers dive deep in the scripture, coming out loving the Bible all the more. It's sorely needed in the church, particularly among my community, the prophetic, spirit-empowered and charismatic believers. Pentecostals need the Bible. And uh, we all said... Amen, amen, and then fell with our faces to the ground. Not to be outdone by a Pentecostals, uh, Bruce Gore is one of my favourite Bible teachers and he's a Presbyterian. And Presbyterian adjunct professor of theology at Whitworth University says, Chad has provided an invaluable service to anyone interested in reading and understanding the Bible. His informal and cheerful style mixed with rich and practical content makes it a resource that can be readily utilised as a guide for personal study or an excellent teaching resource as an introduction to biblical interpretation. And finally, a guide that you've never heard of before, but I got a... This uh, gentleman goes by the name of B. Marold, 
And he, on Amazon, is what is known as a Hall of Fame reviewer, which means he does so many reviews, gets so many good ratings, that he is one of the top reviewers on Amazon. I sent him a copy, printed off in the, wherever town he is, in Kentucky, I think it was, got a local place to deliver him a manuscript, read it before it came out, because I'm trying to reach a generation that doesn't know Barry Chant. And doesn't know maybe some older names, but is happy to open the front book, front page, and say, you know what? An endorsement from someone on Amazon speaks more volumes than someone who's founded a Bible college, even. And so this is part of the process of getting people on Amazon to review it. And Beamerold is a hall of famer. He says, "Mr. Mansbridge shares in every way my preferred approach to understanding the Bible. It is a wonderful manual, ideal as a text in a small group." dedicated to honing one's skills in interpretation. And so thank you to Beamerold, who hopefully has a copy soon. This brings me to the next exciting thing, which is, as I said, this Wednesday night and in a couple of Sundays' time, we're offering you guys a free opportunity to be part of the small group course for the book. Basically, watch a video, take the book home, discuss it as a small group. We're going to be posting information on how to register for that uh, this afternoon on our um, internal Facebook page, uh, but it starts this Wednesday night. So if you do take a book with you, don't start reading it yet uh, until if, if you want to join the Wednesday night group. But basically, there's about half a dozen churches around the world, Africa, uh, New Zealand, here in Australia, in Asia and America, that will be doing it with us, beta testing this course. Okay, As we work through some of the... The, the bumps and bruises, so that we then go public on that next year. But I think that's going to be a great contribution that we as a church make to reach the world. Okay, and, and I can see that being used in ministry schools and small groups all around the place. So uh, if you're interested in that, keep Wednesday night free and look out for Facebook. We'll give you registration details on that. So that's that. I'm not here to push a sail on you today. No, I'm not. But I honestly want to thank you. Because while the thing has my name on it, I genuinely believe that there will be eternal fruit that comes as a result of that. And with eternal fruit comes an eternal reward. And that eternal reward has your name on it. Because part of the privilege and the power of partnership is that we all have a part to play. And if you participate in this church, you've contributed to this. Just by being here and by being an encouraging environment that has stirred me to be able to write that. If you participate financially, if you serve here, you worship here, you part of the Bayside community, I believe that the eternal fruit from this book is credited to each of us and we share the rewards. And so ultimately, while it's presented to you today, uh, this is a, ultimately an act of worship. It's presented to God today as an offering and act of worship. So by all means, grab a copy as you go. Help spread the word if you want to buy a copy. If you want to buy a copy particularly for a pastor or someone with a ministry influence, I'll be happy to also give you a gift box for that that you can post it off to them in. So just ask me about that. And uh, otherwise, stay tuned for our small group course details on Facebook. Mine, Wednesday night, starts this week. In two weeks' time, Brooke and Caleb are leading one on Sunday, the Sunday after Father's Day. So if you want to do Sunday afternoons, you can do that with them. Uh, but um, yeah, otherwise, enjoy. And just lay off social media for a little bit because it's not fair to be plugging it to people who can't buy it yet. Okay, We're going to hold off for another week or two until things are public. So uh, why don't we thank God together ultimately, not for my book, but why don't we stand for the, for the gift of the word of God today. 
and thank him. Hey, amen. Thank you, Lord. We stand today as a people of the book. We stand today as a people that have words that have been written on paper, but most importantly, written on the tablets of human hearts. And we commit and we recommit ourselves, as the crowd did with Ezra that day, we commit ourselves today to being a people of your word, that your word is what we stand on. Your word is what guides us and leads us. And your word takes its place in our hearts. We commit ourselves today to, people, to be a people that love the book, to be a people that learn it, and to be a people that live it out. We thank you for your word. May it be life-giving to us, to our bodies, minds, and souls. And may we find ways and you help us to communicate its wisdom beyond these walls. We commit ourselves to this purpose. In Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.